Well, welcome to the morning worship service of First United Reformed Church. Thank you for having us back. Sorry it's under these circumstances. Uh, it's our privilege to be here and to open the word with you guys and to be fed together from the gospel of our Lord. Well, our, our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3, if you'll please rise. Call to worship is from Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3 and 6 and 7. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. We are his people, the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Well, our Lord also greets us from his word in 2 John, 2 John, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Well, we respond to our Lord's greeting this morning, his call to his presence and his greeting with a song of praise from his word, number 103E, number 103E in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. We'll sing all verses of 103E.
we now come into the part of our time here in God's house where he calls us to confess our sins. But we confess also knowing that he does forgive the sins of his people. So our call to confession comes to us today from Psalm 130. It's a song of a sense. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We now come to confession in song to our Lord with the words of Psalm 16a. Lord, we come as your people. We know our sins. We know our sins mean we don't deserve to come into your presence. We failed to keep your law this week. We failed to do what we should have done. We did what we shouldn't have done. We showed pride when we resisted. When you gave us strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to resist sin, we were proud of ourselves. And when we broke your law, we were proud of ourselves, too proud to humble ourselves and confess our sins. Lord, we pray for forgiveness and we know that you hear that prayer in your Son. Thank you also that we get to come to your house to hear your assurance, your assurance of our pardon. Hear our prayer now, Lord, and receive our confession in Jesus' name. Amen. We now join together in song using the words of number 16a, verses 1 through 5. Preserve me, O my God.
And now we hear these words again from our Lord as he inspired them in Psalm 130. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. If you've come and confessed your sin with a believing heart, God's word to you is that he has forgiven them both uh, past and, and present, maybe even this morning, but also future. They're covered in the blood of Christ. So with that knowledge that our sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ, we now read the Lord's law as his will for our lives in Exodus 20. We know that this law can no longer hurt us. It no longer stands in judgment over us. It only guides us in the way of how to love God and live in gratitude for so great a, uh, a salvation, no longer in fear of condemnation, but only out of gratitude. So in that knowledge, we read God's will for our lives in Exodus chapter 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now that we've read God's law, the law that is our delight, we now come to him in congregational prayer. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord our God, we thank you that we can call you our God. Thank you that in your son we are invited to your house every Lord's Day. This is not a burden to us that we get to be here and gather in your name and your presence. Come before your throne. We thank you that it's a throne of grace in your son. Lord, we 
We're thankful that we get to start a new year. But we thank you that as the year is new, you are the same. Thank you, Lord, that we can come with the same words that Moses came with, that you have been our dwelling place in all generations, that before you ever formed the earth, before you brought the mountains forth, before you made the earth and the world, you are God. Lord, we thank you that you're sovereign over our lives. Nothing escapes you. Nothing surprises you. Nothing phases you. We thank you that you are sovereign over death. You are the one who determines our lives. You know how many hairs are on our heads. You know how many seconds we're going to live. It's in your hand, Lord. We thank you that you're not over, only overseeing this, but that you oversee it for our good because of your son. We thank you that you're making us more like him. Lord, we confess that sometimes we don't even desire to be like him. Lord, we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would make us alive. We thank you that you have. Lord, make us more and more want to be like your son. We've confessed already, Lord, that we have failed. We read your law and we thank you that we're no longer under its curse. But Lord, we do know that if, if we were, we deserve condemnation. We thank you that it has been taken away in your son. And that now we get all of his rights, his rights to be before you and to be with you in your creation. Lord, we are starting a year discouraged. We thank you that all things are under your control, that your providence and you in your providence have ordained everything that went on last year and everything that will happen this year. Lord, give us encouragement. We do not complain, we do not grumble, but we do ask that you would help us to live in the hope of your resurrection, of your son's resurrection and his coming. Lord, we thank you that he's reigning even right now. We do pray that he would come quickly. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to wait. Help us to be light and salt to our, our world around us. We thank you for our, our brothers here who, who go into the streets even to, to preach your word. Lord, give them your power. Bring souls in by what they do. Lord, we, we do pray that you would establish what we do for you in, and that you would bring many people into the glorious light of your Son, even through our witness to our neighbors. Lord, we, we pray for those in our congregation who are sick. We, we pray especially for our pastors that you would uh, return them 
to health soon. Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for their work in us. And we thank you that uh, you have given them to us for as long as you have. We do pray that you would uh, give them the strength to return to their ministry to us soon. Lord, we pray for our own church and for churches in our federation. We know that in this time, many fights have happened. Many fights continue to happen. We pray for your peace. We pray for unity. That you would cause us to dwell together in, in brotherhood and that it would be a blessing to your people like the dew from Hermon or like oil down Aaron's beard. Lord, we do thank you for this new year. We pray that you would bless us in it. We pray that you would bless our nation in it. We know that you are in control, but Lord, we grieve also at what is done in it. Lord, we know that we live in a country that has been killing many children. and We know that this does not please you. It's against your law. We know that if it were your will, it would end, and we pray that you would end it even at a local level through what we do. But in the meantime, Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for all of its leaders. We pray for their conversion first and foremost, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. But if not, that you would give them the clarity to see how to govern rightly and in a way that pleases you. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that we get to start a new year with it. We thank you that you have brought us to your house, to this place. We pray that you would be with us in the rest of this service. Lord, we know that none of this will matter, none of this will make a difference unless you bless it. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Help us to hear what your spirit would have us hear from your word. Help us to see your son. Help us to come away with deep in love for him. A deeper understanding of his beauty. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we will not be taking the offering at this time, but there are, I am asked to remind you, a couple baskets on the way out if you wish to give the offering. We will now pray shortly for the offering. There are two offerings today. First is for general fund or general budget, and the second is for uh, tuition assistance for Christian education. So let us also pray briefly for that. And let us give as, as we go out, knowing that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Lord, we, we do thank you also for the opportunity to give a small portion of what you have, back, have given us back to you. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us, both with this church and its work, but also with the ability to uh, raise up children in, in 
the fear of you. Lord, we pray for our our covenant children even here that you would call them to yourself in the appropriate time and that you would let them know the joy of loving you. We do pray that you would use even, even these funds to grow them up in the knowledge of your son. We ask these things again, not because we deserve them, but in Jesus' name, amen. Well, with the offering now prayed for, we will sing a song of preparation, rising with the music to sing number 116B. Number 116B, verses 1 through 5, I love the Lord, the fount of life and grace.
Well, would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11? John chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 28 through 37. Verses 28 through 37 of John chapter 11. If you have your pew Bibles, that's on page 1142. So we'll read John chapter 11, verses 28 through 37. John chapter 11, verses 28 through 37. When she, Martha, had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and greatly troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? This is the Lord's holy and inspired, infallible word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we are so thankful for it. We thank you for your written record of your son and salvation in him. We thank you for both his person and his work in redeeming us, your people. Lord, help us to hear him. We again ask this not because we deserve it, but in his name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, our passage this morning is the last sign, or it's the prelude to the last sign in what's often called the Book of Signs. Now, the Book of Signs is roughly the first half or so of the, chap, or the, the Book of John. It's the first 11 chapters or so, and it's the signs that show us that Jesus is who he says he is. And then the last half is often called the Book of Jesus' Hour. This is where he lays down his life for his sheep. But this is the last great sign, or the prelude to the last great sign in the book of signs. And so, so far, John has been showing us that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Word who was with God and who was God from the beginning. And he's also the Word who became flesh. He's the, the second person in the Trinity who became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. But as we've gone through this book of signs, or as we look at this book of signs so far, what John has also been showing us is the truth of what has happened throughout Jesus' ministry. He came to his own, his own place, his own estate, and his own people did not receive him. 
And, and throughout the book of signs, many of the Jews who, to whom Jesus has come have been seeking to undermine Jesus at almost every step. And every sign he does, they're plotting against him, and if they're not plotting, they're doubting. Even in chapter 11, notice this, in chapter 11, even Jesus' disciples are wavering in their faith a little bit. What does Thomas say? He says, let's go with him to Jerusalem that we may die with him. He's throwing in the towel. But throughout this book, we've also seen Jesus calling his sheep, and even though they're their professions of faith are weak. They're not perfect. He has called them and they've heard him. Sheep hear his voice. And they've been making professions of faith. And that's what we see in the passage right before our passage today. Martha has just made a profession of faith that Mary will echo. What does Martha say? She says, I know you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. And, and, and Martha has professed her faith, and it's a credible profession, but it's not a, fully a profession that fully grasps everything that that entails. Martha has professed that Lazarus is going to be raised on the last day. She's professed that she believes what Jesus said in chapter 6, verse 33 and 40, and she even believes what John said in the prologue in, in chapter 1, verse 4, that in Jesus' life, and, and he gives eternal life to his people, and he will raise them on the last day. And, and she even believes what Jesus said in chapter 10, right? In chapter 10, verse 27, or 28, he says, I give my sheep eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And in, in verse 30, he also said, I and the Father are one. So she's professed all these things, but she's still saying, to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And it's as if she's saying in that, well, it's too late now. So she's grasped what Jesus promised in chapter 6, but she hasn't fully grasped what Jesus is going to do and what he said he's going to do in chapter 5. Because what did Jesus say in chapter 5? In chapter 5, verses 19 through 29, of the book of John, Jesus promised that people, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will hear, or the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man, and they will come out of their graves. So Martha confesses that she believes Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Christ, he's the Son of God, and it's a credible profession, but it's not a fully comprehending confession yet. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weak faith grasping onto a strong Christ, but it's not a fully comprehending faith yet. Now drop down with me to verse 39 for a second. This isn't our passage, but the way we know that Martha's faith isn't, isn't uh, fully grasping all that Jesus has promised her particularly yet, we know that in verse 39 when Jesus says, take away the stone, Martha says, Lord, don't do that. He stinketh in the King James. He stinketh. It's not going to do any good. He's been dead four days. He smells bad. As one commentator again pointed out, Martha has made a credible profession of faith, but she hasn't made a profession of faith that fully understands the implications of what she has promised, has been promised by Jesus. But what we'll see in light of our passage today is that because Jesus is who he says he is, and because he's 
our Savior who obeyed his Father to the point of weeping, we can trust that the Father hears him. And that means that those of us who trust in him will be resurrected with him on the last day. It's a mouthful, I'll say it again. This is the main point that we'll take away today. Because Jesus is who he says he is, and because he's the Savior who obeyed to the point of weeping, he obeyed his Father to the point of weeping, we can trust that the Father heard him. And because the Father heard him, and because the Father hears him, those of us who trust in him will be raised with him. We'll look at this in two points this morning. The first is that Jesus comforts Mary. Jesus comforts Mary. And the second point is Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So first, let's look at Jesus comforts Mary. Our passage this morning, verse 28, begins by Martha telling Mary, after, after Martha has professed that Jesus is the Christ, she tells Mary the teacher is calling. And, and it says she does this in private. Uh, the word can even mean sneaky. But as one commentator pointed out, the reason she's doing this is because of the people who are gathered around Mary. Who's gathered around Mary? It's a village full of people who are unbelievers. Verse 45 tells us that many of them will become believers later in the story. But right now, it's a village full of unbelievers in her house trying to comfort her. See, the thing about funerals is they're great opportunities for everybody in the community to come and express some sort of feeliness for you and, and, and how much community and solidarity they have with you, but they're flocking, as they flock to show their support, and, and because we know that they're not converted yet, we know that the people that surround Mary can't give her the comfort she needs. See, their, their co-mourning is a nice gesture. It's nice that they came. It's nice that they wanted to show support. It's culturally appropriate that they do it. But the thing is, they're not Jesus, and they don't believe in him, so they can't do her any good at this moment. See, Jesus is the joy of the funeral home, and that means that Mary needs to be with Jesus. They, these other people can't give her the gospel. They can't give her a fair meeting with Christ. They can't give her comfort. Only being with Jesus is going to give Mary comfort. And so she runs, right? She runs to Jesus. Mary knows she needs Jesus at this moment. She hears Jesus has called her, and she responds by running and joining him outside the camp, outside the village, outside the flock of supporters, and she throws herself at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, and notice again, this is the same profession Martha made. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary knows what Martha knows. Mary knows that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He's, and he's the Son of God who came into this world. The Word of God made flesh. And Mary also knows this. Jesus has been healing people this entire book. He's been healing people all the way up to this point. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 11, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus because they're hoping he'll heal. But yet we also, Mary also knows that Jesus didn't heal at this time. But she's still throwing herself at Jesus' feet because Jesus is the only one who can give her comfort in life and in death. And she doesn't make a profession quite as forceful as Martha does, but she does believe fully what Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Lazarus doesn't talk in this passage because he's dead for most of it, but 
Even Lazarus believes that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God. And it's better, that means for Mary, it's better to be at his feet. And, and notice the compassion of Jesus in this scene. We're going to look at the second point, point two, in a little bit more depth. The second point is that Jesus wept. What does Jesus do in this scene? It says Jesus wept. This is my favorite memory verse, and we'll look at it in a couple different ways. First, it's Jesus wept. The first sub-point within the second point of Jesus wept is that it's Jesus who wept. The second one is that Jesus wept. And then the third one is the two words together, that Jesus wept. So Jesus wept, Jesus wept, and Jesus wept. So notice first that this is Jesus wept. Who's Jesus? Who have Mary and Martha just been professing that Jesus is? Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God who came into this world. He's the second person of the Trinity who took on our flesh. What did we just celebrate in our, in our calendar? We celebrated Christmas. Well, what did we celebrate when we celebrated Christmas? We celebrated the incarnation. That the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, took on a human body. And he has it right now. It's glorified right now. It's in heaven, but he still has a human body. And that means that Jesus is the God-man who knows what it's like to live in the veil of tears. As one commentator put it, when he commented on a different passage, he said, Jesus' obedience, sufferings, and temptations covered the whole course of his humiliation. And it is the experience derived from these sufferings and temptations that makes him able to have fellow feeling or sympathy so that he is able to support and comfort his own people in their sufferings and temptations. That same pastor later described this when he was commenting on a different passage. Both of these quotes are uh, uh, his commentary on Hebrew 5. But when he, called, when he described this, he said, it's Jesus' omnipotent compassion. It's his all-powerful compassion. It's the fact that he's God and man. He's God. He's able to help. But he's man. He knows us. A simpler way to put it is, is that in his humanity, Jesus had to go through going through things. But that the, the second person of the Trinity... God who doesn't change, is not surprised. When we get surprises, we jump, we react. There's, there's no surprise in God. He knows everything. Doesn't go through phases. Doesn't age. Doesn't have passions. He doesn't get surprised. He doesn't have bad days. And yet, in the incarnation, he took on flesh. He tabernacled among us, and he really lived a human life. That second person of the Trinity became a, a, a human being. Jesus knows what it's like to live lives like ours, and that means we can have real comfort in belonging to him, right? Jesus lived a human life, and that means he knows us more intimately than anybody. He knows what it's like to be us. And that means he can really care for us. See, Jesus knows what it's like to grow up, to be hungry, to be tired. Jesus knows, we know from the other Gospels, that he knows what it's like to fall on his face praying 
He had a face. He knew what it was like to fall whole body face on the ground praying. He knows what it's like to feel like God's abandoned him. But in his case, it was true on the cross. But that means that Jesus knows what it's like to pray to the, feel like you're praying to the ceiling. Jesus knows what it's like to cry out with the psalmist, help me God, the waters are over my head, I'm sinking, nobody's pitying me. Jesus knows you and he knows me. And here in chapter 11, we read that Jesus knows what it's like to get a phone call. They didn't have phones back then, but he got a message. A loved one is sick. He whom you love is ill. He whom you love is ill. And, and in verse 14, Jesus knows what it's like to know that your friend died. Lazarus has died. But now in verse 35 here, we know that Jesus knows what it's like to have snorts, sniffles. The, the word here is the idea of like a horse flaring its nostrils. When, when it says he was deeply moved, greatly troubled. It's a horse flaring. Jesus knows what it's like to have hormones in your bloodstream. He knows what it's like to feel the wrong kind of warmth, to feel your body start shaking, and to let it out in tears. Jesus wept. But not only... Jesus knows you because he's Jesus. He's the Son of God who became a human. This is incredible sympathy from an incredible Savior. But not only that, we see not only that this is Jesus, the God-man who wept, but that Jesus wept. How often don't we read the words of Paul that the Holy Spirit inspired for our comfort, that we're not to grieve like heathens do, and how often, and, and heathens who have no hope, how often don't we read that and immediately think, oh, we can't grieve? That's not what the scripture is saying. It's saying we, we can't grieve as those who have no hope. Jesus wept. Notice this, he wept. It is godly to cry. Mary and Martha's cry seems a little hopeless. They both say, if you'd been here, my brother would have lived, as if to say, well, it's too late now. There's nothing you can do about it. They seem to be weeping a little bit bitterly as those who have no hope, but not Jesus. Jesus weeps here even though he is our hope. Notice that. We, we know from the Psalms that crying is part of the Christian life. Crying to God is part of the Christian life. We will weep as Christians. And the Lord commands us in the New Testament, weep with those who weep. Weeping is part of the Christian life. And, and so even though we have hope within us, nobody can take it away. We have a reason for hope. Even though all, all of this is true, even though we have comfort in belonging to Jesus, even though our Lord can't lose us because we're his, and even though we know he's going to raise us on the last day, even though we have all this joy and hope, we're still going to cry during this present evil age. We're going to hurt, and we're going to cry, and that won't go until the final...